Hello, welcome to episode 24 of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. How's it going, everyone? It's been, what, two weeks since we've talked? A little over two weeks. Well, not to each other, per se, but to <laughs> to the public here. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done our uh, last, last episode. Yeah. And... A lot's happened in the past couple of weeks, right? Yeah, I should say so myself, yeah. I mean, for one thing, we have a new president, I hope. Very new president, and I'm super happy that we have this one. No more the the orange, the the tyrant. (laughs) What's what's that joke they're making on that game, Among Us? Oh, I don't even know the joke. People have been referring to Trump as orange, and they've always been making, like, jokes about him. Like, orange is the impersonator, or imposter. Is the imposter. Well, he is an imposter to begin with, so he's always been. He's not a politician. (laughs) Orange has been evacuated. Yeah, well, we we can say goodbye to the orange, that's for sure. The orange era. Yeah, the orange era is over. (laughs) Hopefully. But anyway, another thing that's happened a lot in the past couple of weeks is the increase in COVID cases, which is probably the scariest thing in news. Which is kind of questioning me of why I should still be at my job, which I shouldn't. Well, let's not get into our jobs, but yes, I know, as, but as healthcare employees, we are a bit concerned about this. So I've never been more scared in my life right now. I, Usually I'm not scared, but... I'm hoping that we'll utilize this opportunity because, you know, when we're not working, we're usually at home. And I'm hoping that this will give us more time to work on the podcast so we can provide you guys with a more weekly update mm-hmm. instead of a bi-weekly. I mean, we could try. I mean, we've been busy, so. I know, but still, I'd like to be consistent. I'm more organized out of the two. But anyway, I digress. I will say this, though. This has definitely, I mean, I've always been a homebody, but this is even pushing me further into the more hermit-type lifestyle Mm -hmm. where I've just completely secluded myself from people who, aside from coworkers, people I don't see often. Yeah. And it's nothing personal, but we're in a pandemic. But I digress. The point point I'm trying to get to is, is that in order for us to be rid of this, we just need to keep doing what we should have been doing, which is social distance, wear our masks... Don't go anywhere unless you absolutely have to. That's for sure. Wash your hands. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing because even if you even if you like clean your house three times a week, no matter what you're touching, it like surface areas always contain germs of some kind. Yeah. And so- and go get tested regularly because even though you may think that you're safe, you truly never know. Especially if you're the type that are asymptomatic, you really don't know until you go and get tested so it's it's so like she said it's very cautious to do all these things yeah plus the more that you know about it like yourself like knowing if you have it or not will at least better prepare you from getting it from other people from getting it yeah so our world can be a lot more of a healthier place you know just stay safe just stay safe street smarts no (laughs) anyway so speaking of scared and scare we are going to be talking about our scare topic today, which is the... Oh, that was another thing I forgot to mention. No, 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 no. Don't give me that. Because I know a lot of people have been really, really enjoying our spooky season content. And we have decided to make this a more permanent thing. Well, yeah, because spooky is what we are. I mean, I know I'm fucking weird, so it kind of makes sense for us to be like this. And you're fucking weird in your own way so you know if there wasn't already a podcast called strange and unusual i feel like that would be us yeah but, but that, we're not we're not but there is a really good podcast called strange and unusual and they kind of cover the same thing she but told me about they, it i haven't heard it yet but yes but yeah they cover more in-depth like ghost stories paranormal activity stories like all the, all the spooky stuff you can think of mm-hmm. is over at Strange and Unusual Podcast. So if you want to go listen to stuff like that, go and do that. Because, you know, it it just kind of makes sense for us to just keep on this topic, you know. Yeah. We're, you know, we're simple people who just love weird shit. So it kind of makes sense for our show to have a more spookier theme. Yeah. Especially, and we can take it into any direction whatsoever. Yeah, like we could talk about That's, horror movies. We can talk about serial killers. There, you we could can, talk about folklore. You could talk about holidays, you know. Yeah, well, like... And we came to talking about ghost stories because yeah. there's a there's a very special series I want to do in the near future. I'm still trying to get my notes together for it, but mm-hmm. when, when I get it together and I'm ready to present it to you guys, I hope it's going to be a really fun series that you all can enjoy. And I think that's and, the thing about this is that 
horror is universal. Scary things are a universal thing. So it's kind of cool that you can take different types of background and meanings and subject matter and everything, and it could still be scary. Yeah. So I think to really officiate this, we're going to go into our main focus of this episode. And we've decided it would... I've always wanted to do this sort of conversation with Colin on this podcast, and it's comparing the differences between original movies. original horror movies and their remakes. Mm-hmm. But I thought we would take it up a notch, and we'll do something of a debate. Even though we technically won't be arguing, one of us will be hyping up, so to say, the original, and the other will be talking about the remake. Yeah. So... This awesome. is going to be one of probably a multiple part segment series called um, The Remake Debate. Yeah. And for our first segment, our topic of the segment... We're going to be talking about Halloween. Yes. Yep. Colin is going to cover the... The 1978 the version 19... of Halloween, which is the best. The so best. He's <laughs> going to be covering John Carpenter's Halloween, which is the original. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be covering Rob Zombie's 20... 2007 halloween remake and the thing was with john carpenter like literally he didn't even know this was going to be a hit you know he was just he was you know working on a few movies before this and literally um the guy a friend of his gave him an idea of you know doing a movie about babysitters being stalked not to interrupt but are you like jumping into it already or are you trying to introduce like because i had something i mean because everybody I'm saying, like, everybody knows about the Halloween franchise. Everybody, you know, is either a fan or not. Depending on what you like, this can either be your favorite Halloween movie or it could be your least favorite horror movie. Yeah. And I know, like, a lot of people have mixed feelings about the remake, but we'll get into that in a while. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's become, like, definitely one of those cult classic horror movies that definitely paved the way for slasher movies in general, and mm-hmm. especially in, in slasher in terms of a subgenre of horror movies, it definitely kind of opened the door for a lot of other people who became influenced by John Carpenter's Halloween. Well, it opened a lot of doors to a lot of directors who loved what he did and just kind of like spawned a thousand slasher copies, you know, of Halloween, you know, whether they're about holidays or about different premises. You know, but he's, they spawned like a thousand slasher movies throughout the 80s. Yeah. Especially onto the 90s. And, you know, even Scream sat, uh, uh, satirized it. Or what is that word? Um, satired? Satired it. You know, and that was the whole thing with Scream. You know, satire slasher movies. And it yeah. started with Halloween. But before that, there were other movies that were, you know, started a little bit before Halloween. Like, um, you know, if you think about it, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, Black Christmas was a big influence, mm-hmm. like, for, for Halloween and how that started. We should do that one in another. I, well, especially if Christmas is coming next oh, month. Oh, yeah, it makes let's sense. save that one for December. That's why I'm kind of <laughs> excited for Christmas because I get to talk about more spooky shit. And then Christmas is also, you know, it's my favorite holiday as a child. We can talk about and the horror. Black Christmas yeah. remake. And- we can talk about almost anything involving horror and Christmas combined. Like, I kind of excited wanted to talk about Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> but there wasn't a remake for that, right? No, there actually was. <gasps> we need to watch it. Was, it was called Silent Night. Just Silent Night? Yeah. Well, I guess that's more simple than Silent Night, Deadly Night. Well, because they wanted to make it, the name more simple and more scary that way. Okay, but we're not talking about that right now. We're not going to talk about Christmas right now. It's a month away. So anyway, that's not the point. So why don't you go ahead and start your argument? First of all, this ain't an argument. This is a debate. That's how how, they kind of word in debates. Your argument... Go. <laughs> well, my argument is a good, valid one. Okay. Because John Carpenter, a nice, nice director man, mm-hmm. he, well, he already did a couple of movies before this. And he, he was friends with the guy who did Black Christmas. Very close. Who, who directed that? I forgot who. Black Christmas. I forgot who, but literally he was friends with the guy and he was a huge fan of the movie. And so a friend of his came up to John and talked to him about, you know, giving him an idea about, you know, babysitters being stalked by, you know, um, by killers, Mm -hmm. you know, and just 
he was thinking of the idea of calling it Halloween because at the time, especially in the late 70s, Halloween wasn't so big like it is now. You know how everyone yeah. loves and talks about Halloween so much? Well, back then, it was definitely not so... It was more underrated, you know? Yeah. And Christmas and stuff like that was more popular back then. So he thought that no movie... And so... But, but he said... That, you know, like with Halloween, he thought that would be a good title because there's no movies at the time or ever that was ever called simply Halloween. So I thought it was kind of genius to call it that way. And yes, Aaliyah, with your hand raised. Didn't which, he have another name for it, though, before Halloween? Um, was Wasn't that? it like The Babysitter Killers or something? Yes, it was The Babysitter Killers. And there Killers. is another movie that already came out with that name, right? Or was it something else? No, it's called The Babysitters babysitters yeah that netflix uh, movie that came out about a year or two ago and then they just wait. released a sequel wait no yeah the babysitters no okay i'm asking why john carpenter well yeah in 1978 why did he already had an idea to call it the babysitter killer but that got botched apparently yeah this was in the um this was in that documentary we watched on shutter oh, in yeah. search of darkness mm-hmm he, he even said it himself, there was a reason. I think there was either already a movie coming out with the same name, Probably. or it was already... I'll look it up later. I'll look it up later, because... Well, it's too late to kind of go back and look it up and then do it here again. No, I but... know that, but I'm just going to look it up for myself. Okay. So, yeah, so be like, ha, knew it. But anyway, and we'll okay. and we'll reference it in another, in another way secretly. But yes, no, um, but doing the movie, usually at the, at the time of this... He didn't. They really didn't have much of a budget for this movie because what was their budget? Three hundred thousand dollars. I mean, seriously, that almost sounds like a trauma film, huh. basically. You know, because I think trauma films like um, a class of Newcom High or uh, Toxic Avenger, they cost that much money to do. What was the production company um, that worked under? Worked under for Halloween. Yeah. Try to remember. I didn't look up that one, but but I know that. That's all they had, really. And they didn't even have a budget to have a mask for it. So what happened was one of the people, one of the makeup people on the set went down to the costume mag magic shop in L.A. and bought a William Shatner mask, like yeah. spray painted it, designed it, cut the holes differently out of it, and, yeah. did, and did his hair differently. And then that's how they made up Mike Myers' mask. But I like that because it's just like you don't have to come up with a new face for anything you could just take something melted or trying to change it up a bit and make your own thing out of it you know see that's where rob zombies halloween differs from that but i'm not going to get into that right away but you, you keep talking yeah. about but that's the original I, but i think that's what was so great about this version because it was on a smaller budget it was an independent movie and you really didn't have to do too much of a big budget or special effects in order to make well, it great or scary. Yeah, because I feel like with... That's what I like about smaller films, you know? Yeah, with independent movies on a small budget. I mean, yeah, there isn't a lot of money that you can really work with. But you do have the freedom, at least, to kind of get creative and do whatever and you want with it. that's what's great about independent movies is that you can come up with such an imagination for it. And it doesn't really have to cost that much. Mm -hmm. And that's what's great about smaller films. And that's why I've always loved Halloween or Evil Dead. Evil Dead was even less than 300000 mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And I guess, too, like, considering that aspect, while the production is... I mean, to, today you can kind of look at it and go, well, yeah, it's a little outdated. Yeah, there's not really much you can look at. But with what they had, they made a really terrifying horror movie out of it. And for that, when it first, and when it first came in, it wasn't really so popular at first especially with critics but in no time out of word of mouth and everything the film started becoming more popular and people started to go see it more and the movie gained about 70 million dollars in the box office so that's kind and of amazing on a, after its original release yeah or on its original later? no on its original release you know because it made 70 million yeah oh that's okay. really good for a three hundred thousand dollar budget yeah. and then grossing seven yeah. million after that they definitely got their money's worth yeah that's pretty damn good yeah okay. and 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 it's <laughs> and it got to be and for that it was um labeled as the most successful indie horror film of all time yeah especially of its time yeah of its time but like i said 
Now, is there anything else you wanted to personally add into your well, debate yes. and argument? Just like how we said that, you know, the movie was so influential yes. that it spawned a thousand films. And what I was saying, especially during the 80s, like the director for Friday the 13th wanted to make a summer camp version of Halloween. Yeah. And that's how he, he made Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, made a huge franchise out of it and kept going. Same thing with... Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street was influenced by the slasher, by the slasher film. Yeah. And, you know, and just its premise of it. And then kept on going with so many films you could think about, like Blood Rage, Sleepaway Camp, um, Slumber Party Massacre, you know, so many, so many movies, whether they're holiday films or even just regular slasher films, you know, they all Mm -hmm. owe it to John Carpenter because he thought of, he thought of this and he thought it was a great idea to do this movie. And was just like, you know, he was a young artist who was just hungry for any type of knowledge and any type of filming. So he did this film and for that made him the quintessential horror director. One of the most well-known in the genre franchise. And I think I have made my point. Well, and don't uh, don't conclude it yet because oh, not you yet. you gotta you gotta but talk about the man behind the mask. The man behind the mask. Yes. Because which because let's let's when you get, okay when you, I haven't done yet but yeah well, yeah because when you get down to right to it the movie itself is about this madman who behind a mask goes around and kills people in a suburban neighborhood i mean and and without any reason or background of any given situation you really don't know what his motives are you don't know like what's what drives him to do these things and yes colin with your hand up all right so one more thing i wanted to add before you talk about michael Mm -hmm. um i will say also it was noted to pioneer the first use of the final girl character. True. Which I thought that was really cool because uh, Laurie Strobe, who was played by Jamie Lee Curtis, played the ultimate final girl. Oh, yeah. The, the scream queen of scream queens, like her mother from Psycho. Mm-hmm. And plus, also, he they wanted, John Carpenter wanted to pay tribute to, um, to Psycho as well. He wanted to make his own Alfred Hitchcock film. So that's why... I feel like... In order to make a Alfred Hitchcock S type movie, you really have to think outside of the outside of the box. And yeah. what I mean is like say like you're already in the box and you step outside of the box where everybody who's already thought outside the box is. Now imagine there's a box outside of that box where nobody's ever gone before. You need to be outside of that bigger box. To get to Alfred Hitchcock's level. That's a lot of boxes. Yes, it is. It's like sh- it's like the Schrodinger's cat of horror movies. My God. <laughs> like, yeah. So you just you talk about your Mikey. Well, I'm not talking about my, my argument no, yet. No, but I'm, talk about what you were going to say. The whole, the whole thing about Michael Myers is what makes him so interesting is that he doesn't really have a reason. Whereas like a lot of other characters or you know horror movie villains, like they have a reason. They Freddy, have motives, yes. Yeah, Freddy Krueger's is you know to get back at the parents who killed him who and burn him, yeah. Yeah, it, with Jason Voorhees, it was to get back after the uh, camp counselors who let him drown in the lake. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's got a reason for killing these people. They with Michael, you don't. Yeah, he was this little boy who one night on Halloween Ooh. decided to kill his sister. And was committed into a sane asylum for 20 plus years, escapes, and then goes back to his old neighborhood and does the same thing, like, ten times worse. Mm-hmm. But he, they don't have a reason. Yeah. They just, they just know him to be, like, mad with rage, insane, driven by bloodlust or whatever, and there's no, like, reasoning behind it. Yeah. And then, of course, you get into, like, the sequels, which don't make any sense sometimes, depending on which one you watch. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the, the 2018, what was it, a reboot? Or yeah. continuation of the original? Mm-hmm. That didn't make any sense, because it, it completely threw away the theory that Laurie Stroh was Michael Myers' sister, and just created, again, this whole, this whole 
thought or premise that well, they Michael... basically wiped out Halloween too. Uh, yeah, I guess they so. did. They started a new chapter after the first Halloween of like what forty years after this whole incident, and that's what they were doing with Laurie Strobe's character of her, of how well, she been like this after forty years. In Halloween too, did they reveal that she was his sister? I think so, but I think they got rid of. That's why they got rid of Halloween too. Okay. Because they I'll never... have to rewatch the series. Because I mean, I mean, the series is great. I mean, I love the series. You know, it's fine. But like, we're not gonna talk about Halloween three, because that's like I, it's, I love. It's, I actually love that one. But yes, we're not gonna talk about it's that. A, it's more of a standalone movie. And and another debate. I feel like we'll get into something similar to this, where as a standalone movie, it would have done well. Had they not slapped the Halloween... If Halloween 3 wasn't on it, if the name of it wasn't on here's, it, yeah. Here's the problem, though, and this is why... I Like I said, I'm going to get into it in another segment or debate about this, but when, when you make a... When you rebuild an entire plot that has nothing to do with the original story, as a standalone movie, like I said, it could do well. But when you put the... When you slap the franchise name on the title thinking it's going to gain you more success at the box office and then it tanks because it has nothing to do with the franchise exactly that's where your problem lies mm-hmm. and the same the same goes exactly for the child's play remake which i like i said it's going to be completely different episode sorry if you hear the squeaking in the background bowie's got a toy anyway so, with that being said... Now I'm you, done. <laughs> you're officially done with your closing argument? Oh, yeah. My closing argument is that Halloween is the best, even if it's not so gory or anything, but it still has that classic type of, you know, creepiness to it. And that's what Halloween, the first one, is so great. Okay. Here's why I love the remake. Now... There we go. Shut up. You've already had your argument. My turn now. Anyway, so with a runtime of two hours and one minute, I'm going to go through some ratings. I'm not going to include Rotten Tomatoes for personal reasons. Good. But on IMDb, it got a 6.1 out of 10. On Metacritic, it got a 47%, which is all right. Mm. Google, 85% of Google users like this movie. Now, it's budget under the Weinstein Company, which I'm not going to get into for, again, personal reasons. But it had a budget of 15 million U.S. dollars. My God. Do you know how much it made at the box office, Colin? $80.4 million. Cool story, bro. Released August 31st, 2007. Now, it's, it's written, produced, and directed by Rob Zombie who we all know is a really great fucking musician. Like, you gotta go to his concerts. He's fucking wild. And it's awesome. Like, you wanna see me get pumped over shit? Take me to a Rob Zombie concert. I'll be wild. (laughs) Anyway. My point... So, what I like about... I remember that now. (laughs) Yes. So, what I like about remakes in general is you're taking an original concept or idea... And you're retelling the story in a different perspective or in a different way that either makes it more intriguing or goes a little bit more in depth. Like you're like if the Halloween original barely touches the surface of what Michael Myers is about, then Rob Zombies takes it a lot deeper. Hmm. Is what I'm trying to get at. That's how I feel about this remake. But that's how I feel like remakes should be. And that's why a lot of times they're more of a miss than a hit. But every so often you find one that's really freaking good. Yeah. As as like a remake. And what I liked about Rob Zombie's remake is that he told a backstory to Michael Myers. Which I know is something that nobody was asking for. Nobody expected. It's probably one that nobody really cared for. But if you think about it, and if you really watch those opening scenes of Michael as a kid, it takes the concept or the McDonald triad theory that we talked about in the 
serial killer trivia episode, mm -hmm. the McDonald triad theory is that when a child experiences um, characteristics such as abuse to animals, bedwetting, or arson, they show those characteristics of a potential sociopath or um, psychopath. I mean, I understand the animal killing and everything, but bedwetting? Yeah, that 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 kind of can be tied to certain like urinal bladder issues. Well, no, like psychological uh, issues, especially like if your mind is coming up with some pretty weird ideas and images in your dreams. Oh, like you you love swimming swimming in blood, but when really in real at reality, it's your bed being all wet like pee. Okay, that's so not where I was going. <laughs> but I love how he incorporated the. Um, harming animals like i don't really like stuff like that in movies but when you look when you watch the behind the scenes footage you they show that it's like fake stuffed animals that they paint them with red to show blood hmm. and they do really close-up shots to kind of give the illusion that it's real but i like how they took that concept to kind of show the audience like this kid was troubled from the beginning and he took it out on animals before he took it out on an actual human being, which we see early on as a high school bully before his sister Judith. Hmm. Now, another thing I like about the remake is the different methods in which Michael kills people. Because in the original, we see him stab people. We see him strangle people. But very rarely do we ever see him use, like, other methods... For example, um, like I said, back in back in the um, not flashbacks, but in the in the backstory scenes in the beginning, when he was younger, yes, yes, we see him use three different methods of killing people. in In the Halloween scene, when he's home and his stepfather's passed out in the recliner, his sister's upstairs with her boyfriend having sex. And his mom's out the strip club making that money. Um, we see him bound his stepfather to a chair. Wait until he wakes up to slit his throat. Which, that's sick. That's sick. I almost was going to say sadistic, but it's not even that. It's like a much deeper aspect than that. Because here's the thing. He could have just tied him up. In hopes of subduing him if he had just got, went ahead and killed him in his sleep. No. He waited for the guy to wake up to show how much he can overpower this big dude. Mm. By, you know, waiting for the right moment to bound him to a chair. Wake him up. Show him like, hey, I've got you now. And then slit his throat. Mm -hmm. And then looked into his eyes behind the clown mask as his life drained from his throat. Yeah. Like, that's some pretty dark shit. True. True. So after that happens, and the sister and boyfriend are upstairs after they've had sex, the boyfriend goes downstairs to make himself a sandwich, unbeknownst to him what's going on in the living room. And he's sitting down at the table, he's about to eat, until he gets whacked in the back of the head with a baseball bat. Yeah. He gives the guy a couple minutes, because he's, like, stunned, and he, you kind of see he starts to, like, twitch and get, like, these weird seizure moments. And then he starts fucking wailing on the kid's head with the baseball bat until it's, like, reduced to a pulp. Okay. Then he goes upstairs, puts the infamous mask on, which I'm going to get into the making of that in a minute. Um, he puts the mask on to try to scare his sister. It doesn't fully work, so she starts smacking him, and he stabs her in the stomach. Not only stabs her in the stomach, lets her try to get a chance to run away and we see this scene where she's like trying to crawl down the hallway and he's like lurking behind her and he's slashing her with all these like knife cuts yeah. until she eventually bleeds out and dies like that's not only um like a slow like that's a slow torturous killing method mm -hmm. like if he really wanted to like take her out he could have done the same thing he did to the stepfather. Yeah, he could and just, have done worse. He could no, have just, he just wanted a, to yeah. torture his fucking sister. Huh. Like, that's, again, so, very dark. So she basically took it easy on her, his, his dad. 
Stepdad. Stepdad before the before her. No, but he still wanted that moment to show him, like, you can't torture me anymore. Mm-hmm. I've got the upper hand now, and this is what I'm going to do. And then he just kills him. So he basically came from an abusive home then. Yeah, in in the in the remake, we kind of see him live in a low to moderate income like neighborhood where his mom's a stripper. His stepfather's a deadbeat. His sister's kind of a slut, you know, and he yeah. he's just like caught in the middle of all he's this. A very where, troubled kid, yeah. Yeah, where like people kind of really aren't paying attention to him. That's why I say like when his mom gets called to his school and they show her like, "Hey, we found all these pictures of dead animals. He brought a dead cat into school one day, and he's just been very acting strange." Like that's when, you know, the curtain kind of opens up for um. Deborah Myers, I think this is mom, who's played by Sherry Moon Zombie, who's Rob Zombie's wife. And she's just like, you know, I didn't didn't realize any of this stuff was going on. And even though she's like brought to this is brought to her attention, she's she should have stayed home with Michael that night instead of just going out to work. Because yeah. obviously she comes home to this bloodbath. Her daughter's dead, her boyfriend's dead. The stepfather's dead. Yeah. Damn. So what happened? They basically did they do the same thing? They put him in a um, um, asylum. Yeah, they committed him to a psychiatric facility. Malcolm McDowell plays Doctor Samuel Loomis, who's a. And, and before I get into that, the casting for this movie is just Chef's Kiss, fucking awesome. Because let me tell you why. So, aside from Malcolm McDowell, who played Alexander DeLarge in A Clockwork Orange and Cat People, and is also a well-known figurehead in the horror genre franchise and industry, there's also Brad Dourif, who does the voice of Chucky throughout the whole Child's Play franchise, played um, the sheriff of Haddonfield. What's up? I was trying to remember the other movie that uh, Malcolm McDowell was in. Um, a, Tank a, Girl? No. Well, yeah, he was in Tank Girl, but he was in that Greek movie called Akia. Um, um, oh, I know what a, you're talking about, but Akigula, I can't remember. Where, um, Quagula. A Quagula? Is Wait, it Quagula? A Quagula. It sounds like a quack. You know, um, Akigula. 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 So while Colin tries to figure that out. Yeah. Um, Who else is in it? I'm trying to figure out. Here, you look him up. Yes, let me do it. Um, Danielle Harris, who played... Um, what's her name in the movie? She plays Michael Myers' niece in the fourth and fifth film. And then... Oh, uh, Caligula. 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 That's what the Roman <laughs> Quagula. <laughs> Quagula. Oh, my God. It's so funny. Anyways. But, yes. but Danielle Harris plays... Annie, she played Michael Myers' niece in um, the fourth and fifth Halloween movie, which mm-hmm. I thought was very interesting to kind of have that little cameo in there. And then, you know, obviously he gets a lot of his buddies from pr- past projects like Bill Mosley, uh, William Forsythe. He was in a lot of, like, his previous projects but he plays the stepdad to um michael myers in the beginning danny trejo makes a small appearance in it and another thing and i the thing about rob zombies movies that i i have a love hate for are his theatrical and director cuts now theatrical cuts are still just as good but the direct sorry excuse me the director's cuts are gnarly. Like, you want to talk about gruesome, Colin? Yeah. The director's cut is gnarly. And even though, like, uh, Corey Gaines. Or Courtney, Courtney Ga- Gaines. Courtney Gaines. Sorry. Courtney Gaines even makes an appearance as one of the night shift guys from the asylum. Yeah. And in the director's cut, there's a very raunchy scene on how Michael escapes the asylum. And it's not pleasing to myself as much as, like, especially, like, people who 
may feel like sexual violence is uncomfortable. I wouldn't recommend it, but the theatrical version is still just as good. And I, I, like I said, he's got a great casting choice. He's got a good eye for art. Another thing about Rob Zombie's movies that I truly love, and I often hear a lot, especially in the behind-the-scenes uh, documentary stuff, is that he's very hands-on with a lot of the work that goes into the art department of his movies. Like, he's very hands-on with making sure the setting looks right, making sure the costumes look authentic, and, you know, some coloring. He's really hands-on with the lighting and... At this the storyboard process like because these are things that people probably don't think often about but like when you when you get everything ready and you're ready to start shooting and you want to figure out how this sh- how each scene is going to look he's there every step of the way mm-hmm. thinking okay i want the camera to be looking over his shoulder into this person's face and i want there to be a shot of like it's it's amazing how hands-on he is and how everybody who's worked with him enjoys working with him yeah like they think it's like a real treat to be a part of it and the mask i'm gonna get into the mask because like you said they didn't in the original they didn't have really anything to choose so they went down to a costume store grabbed a william shatner mask and disfigured it well obviously because it's a remake you gotta try to keep the original alive but they couldn't just go out and get a William Shatner mask and they couldn't find anything close to the real thing. So what they did was decided, okay, we're going to take Tyler Maine, who's the guy who plays Michael Myers. We're going to take Tyler Maine. We're going to make a cast of his head or cast molding of his head. And we're going to make multiple um, masks. And each one is going to be a little different. So you're going to have the one in the beginning that looks a little new. Not too new, but a little new and scary. And then you're going to have ones that over time look like they're a little bit more aged. Or look, more, yeah. or look worn. Worn out, yeah. Yeah, but it's such an amazing process to see all that stuff happen. Especially like if you're really into the special effects makeup and mask making. Mm-hmm. Like, that's right up your wheelhouse. Like, it's really fucking cool to watch. Yeah. And I think it was just really genius. It's like, okay... We're not going to go out and find one. We're going to make our own. Mm-hmm. Like, at least that they have the money for it. So. That's for sure. <laughs> you sound so bummed with me. Uh, no, it's like, like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's cool that they do it this time differently because they have the budget for it. So they could basically take the mask and sculpt, a, sculpt it of someone's head and then make a different mask. Yeah, like, they def- like I said, they, they used a little bit of paint to make it look worn and aged out. I just wonder they, how William Shatner feels about that. <laughs> uh, he hasn't made much of a fuss about it in the past, what, 30 years? 30, 40 years? 40 years. But you know what's funny? I'm surprised that William Shatner... I've never heard really anything William Shatner commenting about the the first Halloween movie, about them taking his mask. Yeah. But like I said, it's, it, it's a very interesting remake, and the way Rob Zombie tells the story is... Completely different from anything else I've ever seen. The The kill scenes are always a little bit different. And definitely the way that they tell Michael Myers' backstory is... It's almost relatable in a sense. Because mm-hmm. here... I mean, if you, if you really sat down and looked at the American society... We have a lot of, like, lower class families with kids who just fall through the cracks of the system, whether it be the educational system or foster system. Because they really don't have guidance. That's the problem, is that... Well, that's the thing, is because if you just neglect these kids and let them, like, leave them to their own devices, they're eventually... They could end up like kids like Michael Myers. I mean, there could be good kids, but there could also be more likely end up being bad kids. But, But thinking about that concept, it kind of brings a much more darker thought to society itself is that anybody can be a Michael Myers. Like I said, if you if you leave a kid to his own devices and they're that messed up in the head, like anyone could be a murderer. You know, yeah. anyone could end up because of things like that, could end up having those tendencies of wanting to kill. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's a terrifying thought. One one reason myself why I don't want children, but that's besides <laughs> the point. But 
it's it's a it's a relatable concept that people can identify with today that i think that truly makes this a it's an eye opener and it kind of makes you think like well shit like like you, what Chloe said, anybody can be a serial killer. Anybody can be like my, Michael Myers if they're mm. that messed up. Yeah. And then there are certain aspects in certain scenes that I find very creative in terms of like the kill scenes. Because here's the thing. I know you like it clean, Colin. But well, I mean, I don't what, mind gore either. But I just feel like there are certain movies that are, that are meant to be gory and there are certain movies that are meant to be clean. Well, here's the thing. Murder is never clean. Murder is never tidy. Murder is never not messy. So, if especially if, if, like I said, if you're somebody like Michael Myers who uses different killing methods, I mean, strangulation would be a cleaner method because it's less blood that you have to clean up. But in the end of the day, if you have somebody like Jason who wields a machete or Freddy Krueger who wields a knife glove. glove, A glove of knives, yeah. Yeah. It's going to get messy. And in real life, murder mm-hmm. can be messy. It's not just cut and dry. You know what I mean? Yeah. For lack of a better term. But there's different types of killing. They're just, they're good. You know, there's yeah. the gore, which is great. But there's also the the lurking evil that's just waiting for you to, and that's the part that they wish they could die already because, you know, just that more of that thing coming slowly, slowly, the more nervous and scared you are. And that's the, that's the part that I like too, is that when is it going to happen? <laughs> like, yeah. And, and in this one, it's like, it, it, it's almost frame for frame with the original almost. And I say almost like lightly because there are some scenes that are different and it is a bit more crude in terms of its dialogue. Dialogue and violence, yes, of course. Yes. But there's like there's even another moment in which that I find very intriguing. And it's the scene where um Lori is babysitting, right? And this is the this is the remake I'm talking about. But this is the scene where Lori is babysitting the two kids because she was babysitting Tommy and then Annie dumped her charge on Lori and was like she's gonna hang out here i'm gonna go have sex with paul at the other house yeah so michael goes over there he kills paul and cuts up danny or not danny um cuts up annie yeah she doesn't die but she's very very badly hurt is this in the remake yes this is in the remake but watch what happens so it, it's become some time, and Lori starts to realize, like, maybe I should get Lindsay. Lindsay's the little girl's name. I should probably get Lindsay back home. I hope Annie and Paul are decent. Yeah. So they walk in, and Paul's hanging from the rafters of the stairs. Mm-hmm. He's got a freaking jack-o'-lantern over his head. Yeah. And Annie's, like, laying on the floor, all cut up and, you know, not moving. Like, she's alive, mm-hmm. you can tell, but she's, like... Like, I can't move, I'm badly hurt. And the fact that Michael left her alive to get Lori to stay in the house, not realizing that A, the the killer was still there, and B, like, she's not going to just leave her friend. So it's it's another cunning, like, thought. Mm -hmm. Like, if I can use this person to lure another person out, or at least in, within my reach, so I can grab them and go. Yeah. Like, that's that's a really, like... It's a smart way of thinking. Very much. Pretty much so. And you also gotta imagine this, too. Michael's been in a mental institution since he was, like, 10. Yeah. And it probably has... Especially once he stopped talking after a while. You gotta wonder how he was learning in that mental facility. Mm-hmm. Like, where did he get this knowledge to track and hunt and kill things still like being locked up in a mental institution you know what i mean like it's pretty weird concept to think about too yeah but you know that's just me i like i like the remake yeah and you know what and i'm I'm not gonna hate on you for it you know and it's like the same thing with me like you're not gonna hate on me for liking the original yeah and that's the thing about this too. I, mean, I know we call it a, a debate, and debate usually involves argument, but it also is like, about yeah, for one who's better, but not in this situation. Yeah, it's more. It's more so about 
backing up your argument with facts. And, you know, we have all these, like, you know, instances where we can go on and on about which one is better than the other. And, and I just think, know. And I just think for my argument for the original movie, I think this is the perfect example of less is more of what could be a great scary movie. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go over the top. You don't have to do a lot of budgeting or a lot of special effects in order to be scary because it could just be scary just by the way that you handle things. Yeah. But for me, in my argument, is that, you know, less less is more in a sense, yes, but to really make a remake a success you have to tell it in a way that's never been told before you know and still make it intriguing for audiences and that's why like with rob zombie's halloween remake i love it because it does bring more gore to the slasher genre it shows a little bit more realism to murder and death and like i said the concept of like anybody from any society or, you know, social status, can be a very dark and evil person. I mean, look at what we see in the news all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need, like, a broken home to end up like Michael Myers. You can just... And essentially, when you look at the original, mm-hmm. Michael Myers was just this eight-year-old white kid from the suburbs who, like I said... Who this, comes from, like, a very nice home and, like, yeah. the parents are actually really... Clean. Yeah, he just dis- he decided one day I'm gonna take this butcher knife. I'm gonna go upstairs and kill my sister after she had sex with her boyfriend and, and, and that, I call it a, a night. And I kind of have a f- theory about that too. Like normal normancy can be so crazy. Like you know everything could be nice and perfect and normal and everything. But then once when, you're used to everything being good and just come from a nice background and everything, it's just like it seems boring. It doesn't seem like there's something missing. True, but it's also the same thing. I mean, uh, I don't really know how where I'm going with this thought. It's just, for me, it's the fact that, like, you... I don't know. I'm just saying <laughs> I just, that... I just if, don't know. Like, I'm just saying if you're used to the same thing every day, especially growing up and coming from the background that you did and everything, and just some, something doesn't seem new or different, then your head is going to, like click like you know change one day and be like you know what i'm gonna do something different and in this case with the little with the little boy michael killed his sister i know but that still doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me sometimes the mind doesn't make sense you know i mean sometimes a person could do something for no reason at all because they just want to do it maybe that's why michael did what he did yeah but he should have had an understanding too that like well even if i kill my sister I'm not going to get away with it, yeah, no, obviously. I guess there was, like, there's no turning back. And then he just stabbed his yeah. sister. Whereas with Michael in the remake, it's like he knew that by hurting these people, if he had gotten caught, he was going to go away for a while. But another point to... Another fact to point out, too, in the remake is that after he kills his sister and his stepdad and his sister's boyfriend, he's locked away in the mental facility... He has no concept of what he's done. Yeah. He still thinks that everybody's back at home safe and fine and that he's going to go home eventually. But when really none of that happened. No. I, I, I don't know if it's just this weird, uh, this weird sense of denial that he's living in or if it's just the fact that when, when he's in this state of on a total bloody rampage that he completely blacks out and disassociates from his actions Mm -hmm. to the point where he has no memory of what he's been doing. Like that's a pretty, it's, it's a scary thought for one. It's a very interesting way of looking at it too. And then three, you also got, if you apply that theory throughout the whole movie, because there are moments in the movie where Michael is calm when he's around people. He doesn't, like, kill him or anything. But it's certain things that really set him off that make him black out and, like, like I said, total fucking rampage. Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting idea because it's like, can you can you really be black out for that long of a period of time and mm-hmm. go, like, on a fucking rager? Wouldn't be surprised, yeah. 
it's interesting. It's an interesting concept because it's like, well, shit. Like, man. Well, it's, a, it's great what the mind can do, you know. And, and, it's, it's, and it's interesting to see it be told in different points of view. And that's why I kind of want to, you know, know more about the brain and know about what our activities are in it. You know, it yeah. kind of makes you think about that. Mm-hmm. But on that note, um, are you all set with yours? Yeah, I feel like I'm all set with mine. Um, so? I feel like that, that does to conclude our debate for today. There's no winner because it's just a friendly discussion. It's a, yeah. It's, we've, we've presented our opinions and facts to you guys. and It's just you know, a gentleman's and ladies talk. Yeah. Take you know? it what you will. Mm, you like yeah. either or, that's fine. If you like both, that's great. But, yeah. but honestly, it's just the one person's opinion of what they think of... What their favorite movie is. Yeah. And that's the whole point of our conversation today. No one's better than yeah. anyone else. And no one should be better than anyone else. Because we're all created equal. Yeah. And all movies are equal as well. Maybe not created equal if you have a low budget. But yeah, no, that's no, besides no. the point. No, they, they created a smaller budget. Yes. So that being said. Colin, what movie do you want to cover next week? Ooh. Or in the next segment, I should say. In the next segment, I think for me, honestly, because I do love this. It's definitely my one of my favorite franchises. But um, I would definitely like to discuss because I feel I, I'm kind of scared of talking about this too. Because I feel like we'll totally have a fucking like fist fight. Is it Nightmare on Elm Street? Yes. Okay. And that's what I'm kind of okay. afraid of. But I, you know what? But usually I'm a man who's not afraid. So literally, I will go into this discussion with you, and then we will talk about. One of my favorite franchises and one of your favorite remakes. Yeah, I know. <sighs> um, it's, again, unpopular opinion that mm. I prefer the remake over the original. It's like people saying, like, you remember you remember in the 80s? Well, I mean, you weren't born then. But no, but in the <laughs> 80s, there was... Uh, there neither was, were you, uh, but class there, of 89. But no, but so. I know my 80s knowledge. But in the 80s, there was a new thing called New Coke. And New Coke was basically a new taste of from the original and it had new and different stuff in it and you know different formula and no one liked new coke and that was the thing you stick with the old coke and that's why they came out with coke classic mm-hmm. you know so literally it's like that it's like nightmare down street is the original coca-cola and then the remake is the new coke no one likes okay well that's your opinion. Yes. So, And I'm sorry that your opinion sucks. So our <laughs> next episode is going to be called Original Coke versus New Coke. No, it's going to be Nightmare for... Nightmare... Blah, 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 blah. nightmare sorry. Nightmare no. on New Coke. <laughs> nightmare Coke. All right. I, I guess that concludes our episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you all for listening. It's a pleasure for you to listen to our episodes. <laughs> and we're going to come up with new stuff too. It'll be fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the... the I'm looking forward to the, the fucking holidays. I'm looking forward to the series that I mentioned earlier. I'm not going to give it away yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Might as well... Okay. okay. But no, Um, but this has been a lovely episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying... Trick or treat, motherfucker.